Welcome, everyone, to DEI After Five, the show that focuses on topics across diversity, equity, and inclusion with some of the brightest minds in the industry. Here's your hostess, inclusive culture curator and coach, Sasha Thompson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to DEI After Five. This is an episode that I think has been long overdue. Um, A few years back when I was really getting into DEI work, I was realizing that one of the barriers that I was constantly hitting was the barrier of compliance, right? So everything that DEI was, was really based on compliance. We're focused on women because that's kind of where we can do things from a compliance standpoint. Um, And so I was noticing that, um, especially if DEI was living in HR, that it was very tied to what was happening with our legal team as well, too. And so it caused almost more challenges than it did open up barriers or or, um, move barriers. And so this conversation today really is about that legal side of DEI. And so my guest is Brittany Hale, who is a DEI consultant with a legal background. So I love that combination. Welcome, Brittany. So much, Sasha. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So first of all, can you just start off by talking about how you got into DEI? Absolutely. So I am a happily retired, uh, formerly undefeated trial attorney, and I've worked within Fortune 500 organizations uh, in many capacities, but certainly in their defense. And so after a while, I realized that my cases were won and lost during jury selection. And I think part of my success, as much as I would love to say that it was just, you know, like Annalise Keating, um, (laughs) was really being able to identify the gap between what a potential juror said and how they operated. But over time, I realized that case after case, trial after trial, the organizations that I was defending were essentially scaled out juries in that there was a huge gap between what they said and how they operated. And the only thing is that they weren't just losing money, they were losing valuable talent and even trust within their industry. Yeah. And, you know, that's been a conversation that we've been having quite recently, you know, around keeping that trust or building trust um, between that gap, right? I I often call it um, kind of Wizard of Oz syndrome, right? Where you're so like this Emerald City and then you realize there's nothing but a little man on a bicycle, right? (laughs) The curtain. Exactly, exactly. How do you start closing that gap? Like what are some of the things that you've noticed that you were able to transition from the legal field into this work? Absolutely. Well, you know, What people would love to believe is that it's solely about facts, but there's so much uh, within trying a case. It's about storytelling and also curiosity, right? So I always challenge senior leaders to have the courage to be curious, right? Understand why is it that you're having difficulties in these areas, okay? So if all of your, your senior leaders are monochromatic, is it possible that the only people who are Um, diligent, hardworking, and competent are a certain group of people? It's possible, but is it probable? Absolutely not. 
And so once we start in that space of curiosity, that's when we move into that assessment piece. And I always say, assess aligned design, assess where you are currently, align your current leadership and really work from the top down to figure out how you want to implement change. But of course, taking in what you've learned from the people from the bottom up and then designing environments that are both inclusive and equitable. And surprisingly, certainly not a surprise to you, Sasha, but uh, what we learn is that designing more equitable environments within workspaces tends to be more uh, cost-saving for organizations as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to do a little bit of a pivot because, you know, I started off at the top by talking about compliance and some of the restrictions that come about when we look at DEI from a compliance standpoint. So can you give us a little bit of context behind why so many organizations start there? Well, I think when we're having this discussion, we're really kind of exposing a dirty secret within HR, which is quite frankly that most HR leaders are not equipped to build out equitable cultures within organizations. And this is not to say that they are not competent, but they're doing what they're trained to do. HR, much like legal, focuses on compliance, right? What is the federally and state compliant thing to do? So if I've interviewed one of each, we've done the thing, we're great, no more, no less. And so my challenge to current HR practitioners is if doing what was federally and state compliant was enough, we would not have the multi-billion dollar industry of DEI as it stands. That part. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, that part. You know, um, you know, as you're talking, I'm just kind of thinking back at some of the individuals that I have come encountered through the years. And, you know, it's been this reliance on compliance because outside of that box, they just don't know what to do. Um, and so what are some of the things that HR leaders can do to kind of go beyond that compliance piece? Again, with HR leaders, get curious, right? No one is, I've, I've encountered so many CHROs who've said, well, if I work with you, they'll think I don't know what I'm doing. Right. If I work with you, how, how do I justify it? And I've always said my role is to make you look like a rock star, because ultimately, mm -hmm. once we develop an equitable environment, we're going to see that turnover churn go down. OK, we're going to see a change in the attrition rates. We're going to see employees that are more engaged. We know that with an extra 15 minutes of productivity, that revenue goes up three percent. They're going to look to HR to figure out, okay, great, people are compliant, but now you're being asked to do a little, a little bit extra, yeah. right? So if you can bridge your understanding of your employee life cycle, going from a place of compliance into uh, a cultural understanding and really just growing that, it's only going to solidify your role within the organization. So what I'm hearing you say um, is something that actually another one of our guests um, in an earlier episode, Shauna, pa Shauna Pangol, was talking about, and it's a shift in mindset, right? Absolutely. Like it's really shifting the mindset from, okay, this was compliance. This is a compliance mindset, but how do we go into 
like a growth and opportunity mindset. And um, probably about a year ago, I was talking to a grad student in, who's in law school. She was getting her uh, JD MBA. And she said to me, you know, Sasha, what I'm being taught is law is going to ask you what's the minimum that you can do, right, before it's an, a challenge or an issue. And I was like, well, what if the mindset shifted to what's the most you can do before it's illegal, right? And Absolutely. so that's, that's the piece where it is definitely how do we think about this? What is the mindset that we're going to? It's, it's that abundance, right? It's the growth. And right. so it's like that bare minimum is what we've been seeing in DEI for so long when people come from that compliance mindset. But Absolutely. once we have that shift, like you said, the curiosity, that's what's key to this. Exactly. And I love the focus on mindset because, again, that lack mindset not only focuses on compliance, but really just the regard and value for DEI as a whole. Right. Mm -hmm. We have people who lean away and say, well, I've worked really hard. Right. I've operated successfully within these systems that were, of course, built to to benefit certain groups. But I've worked really hard and therefore no one should be able to take anything away from me. And that is, again, this this lack mindset and this belief that you cannot have substantive, scalable, sustainable change within an organization without something being taken away. And once we shift from that mindset, once HR leaders are able to conceive of themselves as really growth partners within the organization. Now we're going away from, you know, okay, well, people will not will know that I don't know what I'm doing, but using that as a means to further engage senior leaders to say, hey, listen, I am a value add because I'm thinking about what's coming down the pike. And yes, we have compliance, but we really need to figure out how are we growing our organization? What's coming next? We see in California, right? Organizations that have in excess of 100 employees are now being asked to report, you know, statistically, and, you know, they are being required to be compliant with the request for race and gender mm -hmm. uh, numbers, right? So if you were adopting this growth mindset as an HR leader, well, this is something that you might have anticipated and engaged senior leadership in, uh, in this journey toward a more, uh, more of a focus on DEI. Yes. <laughs> yes all, all of that. Yes. You know, but as I'm listening to you, what dawned on me was like, there's another side of the coin to this, which is your, which is the legal team within the organization. Yes. Right. Um, my experience has been, that one, many of them don't have a DEI lens, right? You, that's not taught in law school. Um, and I actually, I, I'll take that back. I'm starting to see more conversations around um, diversity, equity, and inclusion in law school, particularly with the conversation around critical race theory, right? Um, so, so yes, we're seeing those conversations kind of be taken to the next level within law school. But many of those that are general counsel or working in the office of general counsel within these organizations don't have a background in diversity and inclusion, right? It goes back to compliance. And so what are some things that um, those that are in legal fields within organizations can do to kind of upskill in this space? 
Well, again, this is an opportunity to be creative. As lawyers, we like to think we are we operate outside of and devoid of emotion, right? And we are just, you know, these uh, high-level, high-minded individuals, but we are still human. And we are having to take the law, right, and apply it to the facts. And we're increasingly being met with novel facts. So I know my my senior my thesis within law school was uh, race as a property right right applying mm. traditional tenets of property law to race with the understanding from my perspective that oh okay you know this concept of blackness as it exists within the United States is not owned by black people right <laughs> so with the the laws right leading up to that about who uh, who was what race and what rights are afforded to that person have squarely been within the purview of lawyers and judges. And as we move into digital spaces, right, we see that there are people building out digital identities with various yeah. racial backgrounds, right? How do we how do we parse that out as we're uh, creating spaces? We have hybrid work environments, right? Mm -hmm. So what does from a legal perspective if there's any sort of potential discrimination, retaliation, you know, um, disparate treatment happening, these are all legal concepts that need to be applied with the lens of inclusion and with knowledge of DEI concepts. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, what you, first of all, your thesis, I'm like, I'm all over that. <laughs> Because I'm like, wow. It's very fascinating. That's fascinating. Yes. Um, but again, it is going back to exactly what you said about being creative, right? And, and thinking right. outside of the box and using our personal stories and experiences as the lens that we see the world, right? So if you're coming in from a legal background, you're doing so with the lens of being a Black woman. Um, yeah. or, you know, whatever the background of that person is. And so what I'm loving about this is really a challenge for corporations to make sure that they have diverse voices and experiences in these roles, regardless of what the role is, so that those lenses, can, they are, there's a diversity of experience that's looking at this work from different perspectives, right? Um, Absolutely which supports, you know, one of the things we've talked about before, it's it's not just about DEI living in DEI or in HR, but this is why, this is the diversity piece of who's contributing to the conversation, um, what lens they have that they're sharing or, you know, they're looking through in order to solve problems. But then also to your point, I think it is important that, we do have the lens of compliance to some degree on, okay, well, if we're looking at discrimination, who's truly being discriminated against, right? And let's look at it from all perspectives because I think just kind of going with the letter of the law, we miss out on so much. Absolutely. And we're now more connected than ever and corporations are no exception. And so now we're beginning to have more of a running dialogue between individuals, right, who are building communities online and holding corporations accountable for their action, right? There's not just one narrative and corporations would do well to engage their internal audiences, 
right? Within a global market, we are in a global market. We are having, you know, corporations are availing themselves of many individuals uh, that are building community and corporations are seeking to engage these communities, right? Because it's profitable mm-hmm. to, but in so doing, you can't be tone deaf. Right? You right. can't just solely focus on, you know, your view of how you how you see the world and how you'd like to direct that it's worth having a conversation because chances are there are people within your corporation that yeah. have a perspective that can prove valuable to uh, what you seek to to put out and how you seek to engage absolutely you know when you were talking it just reminded me of the summer of 2020 when all of these companies came out with these statements yeah and You've never heard anything again. (laughs) In an organization. And I'm just like, okay, who's at the table? And it was PR, legal, and HR. And what are we going to say, right? Like, what is our external message? But to your point, they weren't listening to the internal voices. And that's where they got that backlash of like, Black Lives Matter, really? Because we're being mistreated internally. And so I think that was almost the the awakening for so many of these companies that we have to make sure that what we're doing internally matches what's happening externally, right? Like that's the conversation we were having Absolutely. at the time. Absolutely. Yeah. What are you going to say? But most importantly, what are you going to do and how do we know? Because we saw that disaffected employees, disgruntled employees, you know, were going online right and we had some that didn't didn't care about an nba didn't care about these things and we're taking corporations to task about their practices so it's very hard for an external audience to believe that you value um certain groups underrepresented people when the people within your community right within your within your organization are you know being asked to sit in the back when the CEO comes or are not able to use words like diversity in internal chats, right? Certain words are banned. And so that leads to this this really chasm between again what you say and how you operate. And that trust is eroding. Yeah. And so organizations have a unique opportunity. You can either build that trust, right? And say, this is what we stand for and demonstrate it within your internal communities. Absolutely. Or you can continue to have that gap and unfortunately, um, you know, erode your trust within your industry and globally as well. Absolutely. You know, everything that you're saying kind of aligns with, um, you know, what I'm seeing in the work that I'm doing around psychological safety and ensuring that people are feeling valued, seen, heard, and connected. And, you know, and if they're not doing that, if they don't have trust in not only their manager, but the organization, right, that's when you get people kind of only showing up to do enough work to get the check, but they're they're out the door as soon as they need to be, or they're looking for other jobs while they're on the clock because they're not feeling connected or valued where they are. And so a lot of that, ties back to trusting the organization to take care of you, to put your needs or have understand what your needs are in order um, to be successful there versus just being a cog in a wheel. 
And I think that's kind of where we are. And, and that's actually leads into my next question around, you know, I've been calling it DEI 2.0, right? We, mm. we come through um, the reactionary pieces of summer of 2020, um, where everyone's about awareness and all these eyes got open to what was happening. Um, right. Now right. it's a place of, okay, now how do we make this actionable? Um, and so it's pushing folks beyond just workshops. It's how do we go beyond? How do we build that trust, which is long-term, which is talking about sustainability, honestly, in this space. So when you talk about the work that you do um, yes. with clients, and, you know, I know that you do some long-term work with them. So can you talk about kind of your um, contribution to DEI 2.0? Yes. So DEI 2.0, and I love that you, you titled it that because that's exactly what it is. And what I do, how I start out, again, I love to get into the C-suite, start with senior leaders. They can tell you all about, you know, the origin and, you know, their values. But when I ask them how it's operationalized, name three policies that are demonstrative mm -hmm. of honesty or integrity, things get a little muddy. And we all know that middle management, because they don't really have some of this uh, firm leadership, you know, mm -hmm. they start improvising. <laughs> and that's, that's where we start to see issues. So when I think about DEI 2.0, I always start with values. What yes. drives you, right? Uh, we can all make a lot of money doing things, different things, but what's driving you within this particular organization? And it has two purposes. One, it, it's something that can bind people together and keep you accountable, right? Because if you say that integrity is important to you, how can, yes, we can develop KPIs, but that's informing your personal and your professional mode of operating, right? We don't, we don't shrug off our, our personal perspective and worldview when we walk into the workplace, as much as we like to think we do. Right. And also, we find that no organization, no one group of people has a monopoly on a value. We can't say that only women, you know, value X, right? Or only this particular ethnic group values honesty. And so the interesting byproduct of focusing on values-led leadership is very often that you're developing more inclusive engagements and communities. You know, it's interesting that you talk about values because I do a lot of values work mm -hmm. with organizations mm -hmm. as well too. And what I found too was, let's say you said honesty, right? Like if honesty is the value, it can have so many different definitions based on interpretation by individual, right? And so it's like, how do you hone in on what does honesty mean here, right? What right. does that look like here? Um, right. And I, you know, <clears throat> I think that that is such a key component to this conversation because as we're doing this work and, and wanting to move forward, if we're not even aligned on the basic converse definitions or the value, like how we're looking at these values, um, we're gonna continue to go in circles, right? Cause we're not on the same page. So I love that you're doing that work to make sure that, okay, as we're doing this work, we're doing it in a way that's values driven 
But then also we've had the conversation to ensure that we're talking about it in the same manner. So I absolutely appreciate and, and love that. So I want to do a little, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I, I completely agree with you. How often do we say the same thing? And the other word that came to mind is culture, right? Yes. We hear culture, we hear company culture, and we think about Google and bring your dog to work day and naps and, you know, nap rooms, all of these things. But culture at its heart is a framework for decision making. Yeah. Right? When we think about a culture, we understand that this is the way that we make decisions. And yeah. so organizations need to be very, very clear on that. So, uh, you know, I, I completely agree with you. And that's why connecting values to actions is so important. Okay, you say, what do you mean by honesty? And show me how. Yep. Right. Where, where can I see that? How do I know this is true? And that's the piece that I think is so critical in this work, you know, especially if we're talking, mm -hmm. say, culture. I'm like, yes, that part. Because <laughs> there's also unspoken culture, right? Unspoken behavior exactly. that people can, they can regurgitate the, the culture statement or whatever the value statement for the organization. But what they really fail to look at or understand are what are the behaviors that are truly driving the culture. Right. When you start talking about passive aggressiveness, when you start talking mm -hmm. about, you know, some of the undercurrent things that are happening, that's part of the culture as well, too, regardless of what's on paper or written on the wall in the cafeteria. Like, right. that's the piece <laughs> that, you know, needs to be bubbled up um, in this conversation. So I want to do a little bit of a pivot. Um, okay. Because, you know, everyone knows <laughs> for me, that self-care and wellness is just a huge part of this because this is work that pulls from who we are. And so yeah. just wanted to talk to you, find out from you, like, what do you do to take care of yourself? How do you fill your cup? Got all the cup. Yes. How do you fill <laughs> <love> your cup? <laughs> um, you know, I am someone who responds very well to self-imposed routine. Someone mm. else tells me I need to be at the gym at seven. Yeah, I don't know why. But uh, for me... Uh, I start my days with meditation. I usually get up between 4.30 and 5 every morning. I know Ooh. it's not for everyone, but it's what I do <laughs> because I, I enjoy the silence of that morning. No one's mm -hmm. up. You know, my phone's not going off. So that's an opportunity for me to visualize how I would like for my day to go ideally and really just set the tone for my day with gratitude I do work out. And so then by the time I sit down around seven, eight o'clock, I'm already tuned in to what I need to accomplish for the day. So that definitely fills my cup. I don't uh, listen to full albums, but I have playlists. So I have a gratitude playlist. So any song that speaks about gratitude and being thankful and all of those things, that's something that I'm going to put on. Uh, you know, if I'm prospecting with a client, you know, and I want to feel abundant, then that's something I'm going to listen to. So love that. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Love it. So, Brittany, how can people get in contact with you? Absolutely. There's, so there's a few different ways. I am founder and CEO of B&D Consulting Group. Uh, B&D, of course, not my initials. Be Nobody's Darling. Love it. It's always spoken to my legal instincts to seek the truth and do the right thing. So you can find me at bndconsulting.group. Uh, check us out there. 
We have a newsletter. It's specifically for those in the C-suite and senior leaders. It's called the Teach Them How to Treat You newsletter. And mm. through that, we are using truth as a catalyst for change within business, boundaries, and better decision-making. And if anyone has any other questions, you can email us at hello at bndconsultinggroup.com. Thank so, you so yes, much Brittany, for being here and sharing with us, because I think this is, as I said at the top, you know, part of the conversation that we, we don't necessarily have, <clears throat> excuse me, we don't necessarily have. We focus so much on HR. We focus so much on like diversity and inclusion practitioners, but there is a legal side to this that is part of the conversation that does help drive this, this work forward. So thank you so much for the work that you do. Thank you for being here with us. And thank you all for joining us again for this week's episode of DEI After Five. So continue thank to subscribe. You do that right below or follow us on your favorite podcast um, platform. And be sure to let us know um, the types of topics that you want to hear. We're starting to source for our next season. So until next time, have a good one.